Welcome back, everybody, to Too Much Popcorn, the movie review podcast where Jimmy and I watch a movie and then we talk about the highs and the lows of it, things that we liked, things that we didn't like, and then ultimately we give you our opinion on whether you should watch it or not. And this week we watched the Christopher Nolan movie, one of his very first, Insomnia. 2002, Insomnia, starring Al Pacino. Hilary Swank, Robin Williams, and a whole cast of characters that, oh, yeah, love to look at on the screen. How could you possibly forget Bill Pullman? Bill Pullman's here. <laughs> Edward Norton's here. <laughs> Brad Pitt's here. The classics. Jen- they're all here. Jennifer Aniston was there, too. Jennifer Aniston's here. Everybody's here in the film. And, oh, are they here? No, actually, they're not here. It's just people. <laughs> it's other actors that look like other people. That one guy with the mustache looks like Scoot McNeary. He does. Who, like, it's not Scoot McNeary, but it, oh boy, does it look like Scoot McNeary. Yeah, the timeline just absolutely could not line up for that. So it can't be him, but it did look like him. Yes. It, there were a lot of people in this film that looked like a lot of other people, but you know who doesn't look like anybody else? Al Pacino. That man's face. <laughs> no, is... no. I specifically said that guy looks like Robert Hero. <laughs> Shoot. Uh, you can't say it out loud. The quiet part out loud. <laughs> I'm standing by that one. Yeah. That's why when I watched Heat, I was so very confused because I was like, it's the same guy playing two parts? <laughs> It was like an irrevocable thing that you're like, they can't, who's ever seen them in the same place at the same time until he did. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. And then like one plays a detective, one plays a cop. And I was like, I don't know which one's which. (laughs) But this, this I don't even know the difference. Yeah. This movie made it a little bit easier with just having Robert did did Tony Montana <laughs> play just one detective. He was just one detective trying to he solve one guy, one crime. Yes. Oh, what a crime it was. A crime of passion, a crime of spoilers. We will be spoiling, I think, a good amount of this film. So if you if you haven't seen it and you 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 want plot spoilers or anything, then steer clear of this episode. Yeah. Yeah, we'll probably also end up spoiling Twin Peaks because like we pointed <laughs> out with this movie, although he didn't look like it, I'm pretty sure the guy in the high school was supposed to be Bobby Briggs and she was supposed to be Laura Palmer and dear goodness. Why was it one to one motorcycle cool jacket? <laughs> mysterious murder in a small town 100 percent twin peaks i think christopher nolan like everybody who was alive during the 1990s watched twin peaks and then he said i'm not only going to make an homage to this someday i'm going to pretty much copy and paste it a la james cameron with all of his movies (laughs) he's going to copy paste it but fully leave out the interesting the things that make twin peaks interesting yeah yeah you do, know do you want a Black really Lodge, fun sort of anything interesting yeah do you want a really fun detective character who comes in or do you want crazy loopy can't sleep al pacino because what do you mean that is a fun detective character you've <laughs> described the archetype that i love to see in all my detective films true almost it's become as, the norm yeah almost as you pointed out very nicholas cage-esque yeah but so suppressed feeling like for how delirious and the the editing of the film in such a way where you're like okay he's seeing his dead partner he's uh, you know he is having these visions and uh, you know waking nightmares and sort of a he can't sleep so his dream mind is invading his waking consciousness there was no point in the film where Al Pacino actually snapped and went actually cuckoo bonkers crazy, which I fully wanted. Yes, 
I, I do agree with you. However, there definitely was that part where he's got the one teenager high schooler in his car and he's, you know, playing England, driving in the other lane <laughs> towards an oncoming Mack truck. And it jolly old <laughs> Al Pacino. That scene to me, I could be wrong, but to me, it felt very much like Al Pacino was just like, I'm driving in the wrong lane. And Christopher Nolan's like, yo, this is not in the script, but we got to <laughs> keep this rolling. Hey, who put that log truck on this road? This is supposed to be a closed set. <laughs> yeah. It felt yeah. very improv in a uh, Al Pacino just doing what he does kind of way. Al Pacino takes the wheel. <laughs> I understand. I understand. And I guess, yes, that is a sort of delirious tactic with which he took in order to, you know, get information from this supposed best friend of the deceased. And I, I think that is something about Al Pacino where it is there's an understatedness that I don't know if it worked in this film for me, specifically in terms of he is in this Alaskan town, uh, idyllic Alaskan wilderness, amazing shots of glaciers and, you know, waterfalls and all this thing. The one problem being this guy's from L.A. Sure. Also, it's Al Pacino. Sure. He's from L.A. And uh, he uh, is not used to the near 24 hours of daylight and hence the film Insomnia title, all that jazz. I think there should have been a break at some point where he buys a bunch of pills and like tries to force himself to go to sleep. But there was just no point in the film that he was like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> like I, I tried my hardest to go to sleep by just sort of staring at the bright <laughs> outside. So it was to me, I never was believable that he's doing that bad. Because A, he didn't have a Nick Cage freakout moment. And B, there was no scene context setting up that he was even trying very hard to sleep. He was just like his quote about bad cops sleeping because he has all the weight of, you know, his bad deeds upon him or whatever. And you're like, yeah, sure. But a bad cop can still take a sleeping pill. <laughs> it, it did seem very much like they were trying to have his breakdown into mental illness be because of the lack of sleep rather than like alcohol abuse or pill abuse right and so they they just totally you know decided to not put those in the script although it would have helped to sell the insomnia that he's facing and also his descent into mental illness and guilt you know like guilt racked for as many things as he starts <laughs> listing off in the film he's like oh well killed my partner framed a guy left a toilet seat uh, up <laughs> gosh my ex-wife would have so many of these yeah he he's just sort of a a bad guy but there's something about the conveyance of him that wasn't sold enough for me yeah and i i think also along with that just the reason for him being up there in particular wasn't sold to me either where like, I get that there was the one older cop who I guess had worked with Al Pacino and Hap at some point in a previous part of their career. And then, you know, when this murder happens in this idyllic Alaskan town, the older cop says, hey, I know exactly who we should call. It's this guy from LAPD homicide. <laughs> Let's also not tell him that we're uh, experiencing 24 hour sunlight right now. You know, normal things that happen in Alaska. <laughs> hey, I know the best crooked cop in the biz yeah <laughs> like anchorage is a lot closer did they think to call them or even seattle like there there's so many places that they could have gone to first and also like on the phone just been like hey um just so you know there's gonna be a lot of sunlight so you know those little things that you wear over your eyes on the airplane so you can <laughs> just sleep? pick one up yeah they sell them in the airport i know that they're 30 dollars and overpriced but just pr pick one up otherwise you're gonna go mentally insane sit that pick it up at the gift shop it's literally just right there 
You can yeah. get one with a cooling insert. It'll be really nice. It'll say Alaska on the front. And then when you take it back to L.A., everybody be like, oh, you've been to Alaska. Jolly old Alaska. <laughs> Jolly old L.A. Uh, yeah, they're, they're... So is that what that first scene was trying to sell? Is the chief or whoever is, you know, giving him the rundown of the crime is aware that Al Pacino, Detective, was it Dormer? Is this sort of skirting the law because there's a specific line that the chief says or or this you know older officer who is like you know how we do things in alaska something along that sort of thing and first of all no he wouldn't know what you do in alaska because (laughs) he was he lives in la and you're just assuming did you read the paper and you know that he's sort of in hot water for internal affairs issues and you're sort of trying to do the same thing. You're like round two up in Alaska. Uh, yeah, it it did very much seem like uh, a commentary on the way that cops, you know, used to run their business a lot more, you know, in the 80s where it's like, hey, we make our own rules and, uh, you know, stuff happens and, oh, IA's never going to catch us. And then IA started catching people and then they were all salty about it because it's like, Oh, people are actually holding us accountable for the stupid shit we're doing. (laughs) And then it's like, yeah. So I think that is what that scene was trying to set up was that like the old cop was like, hey, I know that, you know, you do things your way and we're not going to try and ream you too hard for that. But you're still facing this in L.A. And yeah, it's like you're out here in the in the Alaskan wilderness. Anything goes. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Do what you got to do. I think that was that establishing scene which sets him up uh, again for the rest of the film to be like, oh, well, I'm a bad guy, so I'm going to do shady shit in alleys. I'm going to try and place evidence places. You know, he he does all this very nefarious stuff. And you're like, oh, wow, the truth would have been just so easy. But it doesn't make the film. I get it. I get it. It doesn't make the film. And there's, there is something, there's an aspect of the, the writing propelling this plot forward but then there's so many pitfalls that i'm just like there's outs everywhere that i just could not get over they were like cops being like oh well authors they had a book in their house (laughs) we better go talk to this author and it's like bro if i have a fucking tom clancy book in my fucking house you gonna go talk to tom if i'm murdered mr clancy doesn't have time for you yeah, Sam Fisher's the one who snuck into my house and killed me. Clearly. And well, yeah, and I think also, like, so, spoiler alert, like we said, you know, one of the main impotencies of this movie is that they chase the murderer through this foggy, rocky outcrop, and at one point... Cool scene. Oh, great scene. Loved the use of fog. Very but cool. Al Pacino thinks he sees the bad guy. He takes aim. He shoots. And he shoots his partner by accident. Question uh, Who, of course, his partner has revealed earlier to him that he has some kind of dirt on him that he's going to turn into IA so that IA will look past the things that he has done. And so then it becomes... Because they're uh, all crooked. In LA. Yeah. Yeah. So then it becomes this whole question of like, did he shoot him to, you know, keep his partner quiet or was it truly an accident? But then with, like you were saying, with him being such a bad guy, it's like, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. And he's so inclined to just make that lie where he could have just been like, oopsie poopsie. I thought that was the bad guy. And they'd be like, eh, it's Alaska. We don't give a fuck. It was really foggy. Yeah. Well, and it like almost would make more sense if he had been the ultra clean does everything by the book cop who does make that accident and is then like reeling from the fact that, oh, God, yeah, I is going to be on my tail after this and I might have to face consequences. Therefore, he makes that lie to try and cover up and remain the pure cop. Oh, see, and I think there's also a possible more interesting plot line to follow where he is the pure cop he does not have any issues with internal affairs it's more just like you know other people in his department it doesn't really actually impact him and then he accidentally kills his partner and then doesn't cover it up but internal affairs is still like well did you do it on purpose you know like there's something there where then the guilt of it and knowing that he is a like 
cop killer, you know, like partner killer. And then no one in the precinct in Alaska trusts him. And they think that they're like, they're going to watch their back. He still loses sleep. There's, there is an interesting movie there, I think, that I would have possibly <laughs> preferred to watch. Yeah, and, and I think along with that, too, you have him chasing this murderer who murdered this 17-year-old girl, and then he goes and murders his partner. And his whole moral high ground is like, well, that guy's the bad guy, and he killed somebody. And it's like, yeah, but so did you. So why am I rooting for you? And yeah, I, I, and I you don't can't. know. You, you, you can't. You can't because ultimately both the crimes were the same. I don't know. I, I just I had a hard time wanting to see him succeed. Not that I wanted to see the murderer get away with it. I just had a hard time being like, yeah, let's go, Al Pacino. You cover up this murder. and like. <laughs> well, I think the one thing that is slightly annoying is when he goes to the uh, kid's like house or whatever looking for the gun that he knows is placed there by Robin Williams' character. And he thinks it's in the vent. He wastes a lot of time. And it's in some other place, specifically <laughs> in an oil can. Um, oh, no, no, no. No, no. More specifically, <laughs> an oil vat. They, they set a vat of oil, which means like <laughs> it was a thing of oil. Did the cop jump on in there and have a good old swim around in the oil? Oh, man. Wow. So the thing with that scene is, right, you're like, he needs to get the gun from there. So that why? Because if if they aren't able to follow through with the framing of the high schooler, what was his what was his next step just to put it back on the actual killer somehow, like work it out in that way? So he's trying to pin it on the murderer and you know make sure that it's the murderer being held accountable for it rather than the boyfriend and so i guess that's why he went there you know after it's revealed that the boyfriend could have been the one who shot her blah 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 or was the one who shot the partner and therefore had the gun yeah it got so convoluted well but. it's like a full on another internal affairs mishap that could just lead to you know horrible horrible things down the line because al pacino's character is lying the murderer is lying because they're the murderer <laughs> the kid i think that's another thing that sucks because it's a, from the perspective of cops did a good job so the murderer is going to jail and the murderer was this high school kid right and us the audience we know a, sure the kid's an asshole, but he didn't murder her. We know this as a fact. B, that's the more compelling thing is Al Pacino finally having that flip to, oh, I probably should fess up for all these other reasons. But the main reason that like myself, I look at the situation as an outside perspective. I, I don't I don't care about any of these characters. The kid going to jail for a falsely accused murder charge is the wor the bottom fucking rung of society here. Like Al Pacino bottomed out and then went further where he's like, you know, there's the there's the cabin in the top and then oh, underneath there's a tunnel. That's where he's fucking griming about in there. Being like, uh, I'm fine with sending this kid to prison. That sucks. Like fully. And I don't even know if in the film it's conveyed that that's the thing that breaks him to sort of like finally start to follow the actual thread and try and end it all. It just feels like he decides for another reason that's unexplained. Yeah, it, it seems counterintuitive because you would expect somebody to be doing the investigation right and you almost have that with uh what's her name Anne Hathaway <laughs> Hillary Swank's character Hillary yeah. Swank's character Ellie who, yeah who she's like doing the investigation right but then she gets put on the investigation of the murdered partner yes and, and so then you have the like less competent cops doing the investigation on who killed the girl and it's just falling through. And then it's also falling through because of Al Pacino's character. 
And I think it would have made more sense if it had been like, the cops are doing everything right. They're finding everything out. They're on the right path to get to the right person who did this. But Al Pacino is like subverting everything they're doing. And because of his actions, he's causing them to look at somebody else and causing them to mess up the investigation. Yeah, but they were fully incompetent feeling the entire film is like anytime they're given something to do they're just sort of like ah, whatever could be anybody and then ellie gets involved and you're like oh okay she has the most agency in terms of finding a tie between an author you know that uh, there's a book in the house there's a book in her bag she really cared about it's like putting the her listening to al pacino's character which again is also sucks because her agency is then taken away by like everything I learned was from Al Pacino and you're like just fucking be written as a fully competent person. Yeah. You can be a fully competent person. You don't have to be oh I remember the fables from Detective Dormer and he said one time you got to look at the details or you don't blah 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 and you're like okay so Ellie is also incompetent the mustache man is incompetent. Scoot's and Scoot McNary is incompetent. So, so yeah, it's like they're fully tripping over their own asses without Al Pacino doing anything because he's also failing to obfuscate the murder that then Ellie, you know, figures out because he says, don't be done with the investigation, which is again, another sidestep of her agency of just being like, I did my due diligence and I trust Al Pacino. And it's like, why do you trust Al Pacino? He he is literally the most untrustworthy looking fucking face in this film. Yeah. Ugh, yeah. It's infuriating. I, I think, it, again, if we're talking about selling it better, I think it would have been sold better if they just had not told us or really given us a clue to who did this. They, they set up pretty early in the movie here's who did this crime and then we follow who did that crime and i think it would have been sold a lot better if it really was more of a mystery where it's like somebody did this crime we are pointing you to look with the cops in this investigation towards this person and then as al pacino is messing up the investigation it starts moving a different way and then you the viewer also starts believing that, yeah. Oh, yeah, maybe it is that person, even though you know it should be that other person. Is yeah, that, that would have... Uh, yes, if there was a subversion in terms of... I don't know, I think Glass Onion did this really well with the sort of showing... It, it, you know, the movie shows you everything, but you still have to figure it out. And in this one, it's like Al Pacino knows. And so you're like, oh, well, Okay. <laughs> I think along with that too, like David Lynch said it really well with season one of uh, Twin Peaks that the mystery is what keeps us watching and the mystery is what keeps us fueled in these things is we want yes. to know, we want to figure it out. And so we're going to keep watching it to figure it out. And then like he said in season two, it then gets revealed and I'm not spoiling that one because you got to watch no, that no. show. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. but it gets revealed. And then after that point, you're less interested because you're like, well, I already know who did it. And I, I care why, but I care less about why. Yeah. And, and in I, this movie, I think why fire walk with me is like a good, like summation. Yeah. is like a good retelling of it. Like if you haven't watched the show, fire walk with me is like a phenomenal way to experience sort of the first two seasons of Twin Peaks and like a little contained oh, but thing. <laughs> hot take alert. It's heavy. It's a heavy watch. Oh yeah. Super yeah. heavy. Like that's the thing is the, the emotional baggage is all there in season two and it plays out in that full thing. But if you have like season one to look back on and be like, Oh yeah, he likes coffee and pie. I love that. <laughs> but the movie is just like, no, nah, fuck you. <laughs> you have to deal with all of this at once. And you're like, Oh, well I hate this. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, when we're looking at the why of why these people did their crimes, I guess I just, I wasn't sold with the why of why this crime was done. It was done in a heat of passion. Just to reiterate, we were talking about this movie again, not Twin Peaks. Um, and no, we're, we're back on this where Robin Williams is the murderer. Yeah, spoiler. And not 
Paul Dano. <laughs> no, or uh, the guy from Seven. Whoops, forgot his name. The actual bad guy. Yeah, I don't think Robin Williams was a good pick. I, okay. I think he was a good pick for, like, either a serial killer or, like, a multi-murderer if his character had been written better. Yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I just... Like, I get that he had this... Don't undercut what I said by saying (laughs) that he should have been written better. I'm agreeing. Okay, my bad. But, like, what I'm saying is, like, I think he would have been a good murderer in a different movie where it's like, yeah, fucking put him in uh, the Batman as the Riddler. And, like, it would have been... Well, that's the thing. I think he he is in some movie where he is, like, a... I think it's, like, uh, instant photo or something. He, he's some creepy dollar store, you know, photo guy, and he stalks people and all this kind of stuff. And it is believable in that film. And he can do it. He had the range. He was a phenomenal actor. But there's something about the writing of this being, like, you're portraying... And it's the way he talks, too, is he does sound like a writer, right? He's He's sort of, like... He sounds, uh, high, you know, on his high horse. He he talks in this certain way that Robin Williams is able to talk when he wants. And it was believable that he was a writer, but just because he wanted control of this one situation, the crime of sort of passion, but also it's not explained that he was a creep or that he is a creep. It's just sort of... You, you're in Al Pacino's mind for the film. And Al Pacino's mind is a bad place. Yeah. Uh, This character, you know, he's this tenured, you know, drug and murder detective. And you're like, okay, well, he's going to have a bias towards these things. And every line that he keeps saying to Robin Williams' characters, especially on 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 the ferry, you know, he's talking to him and he's like, you're a creep, I hate you, you're doing all this stuff. And Robin Williams doesn't have a reaction of distaste or uh, agreement or even disagreement. It's just sort of a nonplussed, that's your opinion, man, yeah. like, sort of thing that caught me off guard in terms of... Because I was like, okay, well, we know he did it because he's calling Al Pacino's character. And the only witness to this crime is the murderer. So you've solved... Again, it's the the mystery is open. You're done. Way too early to drop that on us. Sorry. I would have actually preferred there was a line. Al Pacino goes back to his hotel and the lady's like, oh, your partner called earlier. And then he gets on some phone call with IA and they're like, rah, 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 rah. and he's like, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, IA. The vagueness of your partner called and him starting down this road of insomnia and delirium is like there's something interesting about Robin Williams lying to him in some way and then pretending to be some sort of counsel or internal affairs and showing up as the partner and not you know laying all his cards on the table saying that he's something yeah, like that right they, they should have one thrown a voice modulator on the phone when Robin Williams called cuz I'm sorry Robin Williams, very distinct voice. Yes. He was like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then he called and, you, and you're like, oh my God, it's him. Yeah. Do, 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 do. Wait a second. Yeah. Throw a voice modulator on there. So you're like, oh shit, who's calling uh, Al Pacino? Like, I, I don't know. And again, it could adds be anybody. more air to the mystery. But when you pick it up, and it's Mrs. Doubtfire on the other side. <laughs> You're like, I know who this is, and therefore I know who did this crime. Uh, I would have killed for a scene where he goes into <laughs> his apartment and he, he has a pie on his face. Oh, my God. Or just like Al Pacino thinks that he's catching Robin Williams, but it's Robin Williams doing all these different characters. And he's like, uh, who is this man? So that movie exists, though, right? Like Split, M. Night did it? Kinda, but I just, I want more, like, Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, yeah, I know. But, Rest in peace, Robin. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then to go along with that, too, like, it, it would have been great if, like, Robin Williams had shown up as his partner and, like, tried helping him figure out the crime, but, like, did it wrong and, you know, drove him insane that way or something. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's the thing, is 
there is the mystery being solved too early. And therefore, the whole reason to watch the movie becomes the secondary sort of, well, how do I get away with murder? <laughs> That's the other thing that really kind of rubbed me wrong about Robin Williams and Al Pacino's like relationship in this. Yeah. Is Robin Williams, his whole argument for why Al Pacino should like lie about this is like, he's like, hey, we don't want you to look like you're the bad guy here. Because <laughs> it's going to like ca- cause all the courts to throw out all your other crimes. And it's like, okay, yeah, but you've already set up that Al Pacino's character is a bad guy. And then along with that, you also have Robin Williams who like throughout the movie, he's trying to set up the teenager to look like he did the crime. And while he's doing that, he's like, look, Al Pacino, we're working together on this because we think the same way. Ooh, we think the same way. And it's like, yeah, because you both are bad guys. (laughs) Now, if this was the classic conundrum where you have the good guy who is, you know, in turmoil with his inner conflict and the bad guy saying, oh, we think alike. We think alike because we're not so different, you and I. You know, as much of a cliche as that is, it really is a good writing element in that it does cause your character to be like, oh, shit, am I the bad guy? And I think that would have been sold a lot better in this rather than Robin Williams being like, we think alike, you and I. (laughs) And Al Pacino being like, we do. In fact, I'm kind of a lot worse than you. (laughs) You don't know the things I've done. Yeah. You got Robin Williams who's done one murder, and I, I'm pretty sure Al Pacino's character murdered a lot more people. Uh, yeah, I think he shot. That wasn't his first partner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Side. He came up with the whole bullet in a dead dog thing way too fast. He was in a dark alley, feeling sick about himself. He sees that dead <laughs> dog. He's like, "Oh, I've done this one before. The old dead dog <laughs> in an alley." <laughs> yeah. So I, I, yeah, just their relationship a little bit whack. Little whack. Uh, you know what else is a little whack? These Us ads. Let's take a little break. <laughs> oh, I really lost my lunch on that. <laughs> Wait, you shit your pants? Just like Al Pacino three times. <laughs> Look, it's a weird line to say I lost my lunch and then not to have deep mouth deep in a barf bag. Like, what are you saying? Dude, best moment of this movie, though, was 100%. (laughs) They're flying in. There's like a little bit of turbulence. He doesn't like burp or like kind of vomit in any way. And his line is, oh, I lost my lunch. Well, it's it's bad enough that the pilot looks back there and then he's like, oh, Al Pacino just shit his pants. <laughs> yeah. Because there's no explanation. Where did the lunch go? Or did he like <laughs> drop it? The He had something on his lap and then the turbulence happens and it's on the ground. No, he shit himself. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. It didn't take a detective from L.A. to figure that out. No. Okay, I do have a question. Is there a film here, not written, uh, not this film, it's not this film, but is there a film that follows the same narrative, but it is, again, the pure cop who accidentally kills his partner, starts going delirious from lack of sleep, Robin Williams shows up and, or, so that's the thing, is like, Robin Williams shows up and pretends to be the old partner or new partner, so and then I, is faking him out? I think I know I have an answer to this and it's not going to be a hundred percent like here's a copy and paste what you're looking for. But I think seven is a really good example of or memento or memento or yeah, memento Memento has the full on, like I'm being helpful psych. (laughs) Yeah. Seven does a really good job of having like, you have a, a grizzled cop, but you also have like a new bio cop who sees the world in a very certain way, who then gets corrupted by the serial killer, who does a good job of being a serial killer and a creep. Kevin Spacey, boom, actual That's bad guy. It. Yeah. Actual bad guy. Actual <laughs> real cannibal. life bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think that 
movie did what this one struggled to do. Yeah, and I think there's another thing of the framing. It comes back to the writing a lot for me is the framing of Al Pacino being like, I've I've followed serial killers. I've done all this sort of stuff involved with maybe single murders, all this kind of stuff. But he's even on the plane and mentioning like, oh, this is only the first one of many. And then Robin Williams' character comes in and is like, it was an accident. It was the one time I'll never do it again. Scout's honor. And you're like, okay, but Al Pacino already was saying it's going to happen again. He's going to get, uh, you know, the bloodlust. So I... I don't trust Robin Williams' character because the movie's been set up to... And just the world we live in, saying like, oh, a brutal murder of a young girl, and you get away with it, then you're probably going to try and do it again, right? Yeah, and I I think when they set up that whole concept of like, this killer made the first murder, there's going to be more, in my mind, that triggered the... You know, similarity to Seven, where mm-hmm. a murder is done. It's very obvious that it's going to be one out of, you know, it is the first of the seven deadly sins. There will be others like it. And so I was like, oh, and in that movie, yes, there are others like it. And, <laughs> and in this movie, they were like, oh, this is the first one. And then just there was nothing about that. It just it stopped at the one. But it set it up, right? Am I wrong in that they set up the shoe and then you're waiting for it the whole movie and you're like, is he going to? And then the very end, you're like, oh, he was going to try it again. Look. But, like, almost out of necessity rather than, like, yeah. a desire. It it was very much, it wanted to well, be. Well, it's a, bad. Yeah. It was written poorly because he's saying his one reason why he uh, essentially lured her there was he saw her eyes while being interrogated and saw that she knew that Al Pacino had shot actually shot his partner yeah and you're like okay so you went from i accidentally killed a 17 year old girl with my bare hands it took 10 minutes to i gotta kill this cop now to save my other cop dunkachino buddy (laughs) because i'm just when does it end yeah and it really did seem like the movie wanted to be a serial killer ooh hunt chase type movie but it started with a accident murder and then turned into almost a murder of necessity. Like, I didn't get serial killer from that. No, it's almost like they wanted Robin Williams' character to to be a serial killer, but they only set up the one. And so you're like, okay, so does he have bodies in his backyard? Is this not his first one that we don't know about? You know, and you're like, no, it just. It was just the one. He's, yeah. He's just a really, he's got a high intellect. He's a good writer. He went to college and he's gonna, he's gonna do it again. Even, he's gonna. Even with this, Al Pacino goes to his apartment and you're like, oh, what messed up things is he gonna find in his apartment? Is there gonna be like pictures of other victims? Is there gonna be like torture weapons and uh, bodies strung up from the ceiling? No. It's actually a two nice dogs. place. He's got two doggies and there's some books around. And it's actually a nice oh, little picture place. of himself. Yeah. At his cabin. And it's like, oh, okay. And then later, like, yeah, they go to the cabin. And you're like, all right, this is the lair. Oh, he's going to go under the, the cabin and there's going to be oh, grizzled bodies. Meat hooks. Ooh. Ooh. And it's like, no, no nah. bookshelves. Uh, it's got a little shack in the back that's kind of run down, but that's really just a lack of maintenance more than anything. He was a nice guy. <laughs> yeah. So. And that's, that's not to say that this was a bad movie. There was, it really does seem like the lack here was writing. For the most part, I would say the directing was good. The editing, woof. Uh, oh, boy. Let's hit that real quick. Yeah. Yeah. There were some scenes, like there are running scenes. Okay. If you Yo, see, if okay. No, no. I, Before you even get to the running scene, look, look, yeah. look. And I know exactly what you're talking about, but there were multiple talk scenes two-point shot people (laughs) talking where they're like here's a cut here's a cut here's a cut here's a cut and here's a cut here's a cut here's a cut and you're like just hold on someone yeah please do some slow pans if you need movement do a dolly do a truck i don't care don't give me it was painful 
Yeah. To watch these people talking about stuff that I then tuned out because it was hard to listen to it when it's happening in a rapid fire type of, and they're not talking like bullet point to bullet point. It was usually just Al Pacino talking to one person and then it's cutting between. And you're yeah. like, is Al Pacino that bad at delivering lines that you're having to cut to his sh over the shoulder <laughs> so you can ADR him? Like, what's going on? <laughs> oh, and then, yeah. And then with the chase scenes, like, if you've seen Taken 3, I'm pretty sure that is the same editor who did this movie. Because it was al Does almost... Does the 3 in Taken 3, is it the E? Yeah, it's the Take, take, three, in? take 3 in. Okay, uh, good. But it is very much like Al Pacino, his agreement to do this movie said that he wasn't allowed to run at any point ever. <laughs> and so anytime he was walking faster than a walk, they had to get a stunt person to do that. And they had to continuously cut from the stunt person walking faster than a walk to Al Pacino's face to sell you that he's the one doing it to back to the stunt person, to the face, to the person. And it was R-U-F-F. <sighs> Or any uh, sort of physical altercation was also just as hard to follow. Yeah. It's it's almost like I couldn't even tell how strong anyone was uh -huh. because it felt like Robin Williams was just fucking like beaten, <laughs> beaten down from people like Al Pacino's on the ground now. And you're like, oh, my God, Robin Williams, what are you? Are you superhuman? What's going on? You just clubbed that woman in the back of the head but i didn't really see it it was just out of frame so yeah and then along yeah. along with that they also did in the scene where al pacino's chasing whoever through the fog dude they broke the 180 rule like oh they broke all times. the rules i yeah. mean it's a that scene i allow it because it is specifically supposed to be confusing yes but you can sell confusion through different ways that don't. Yes. Jar no, no. And, and I'm still not saying it was the same cuts. You're like, oh, it's, oh, there's a foot in the pond and oh, it's whipping around and he's oh, it's behind a tree. And now there's so many things whipping by. And you're like, just hold on something, please. Yeah. You can break the rule if you really need to. If you're really trying to sell me on being becoming very disoriented but just stop it, yeah. it was the, the stilted shots were just so common it was hard to be like it was hard to even enjoy the wilderness aspect of it because you're like here's a cup here's a, <laughs> you're like oh my god this glacier is beautiful it's so huge they're flying over and you're like and you're like oh i lost my lunch and you're like okay well <laughs> shut up and just let me like look at the majesty of alaska for a second yeah there were some great shots of alaska though the the, fl the flying in you get some great seracs there was a nice glacier near the end definitely this movie highlighted the beauty of alaska so Good job, uh, Mr. Nolan, for doing that. See, I, I'm inclined to say, like, ultimately, and you're not going to believe this after the way I just, like, ripped this movie apart, but ultimately, I am going to say it was a good movie. Mm. Like, I would say that there was enough, like, yes, get the editing way the hell out of this movie. <laughs> Can we get a director's cut? Can somebody come back and fix this one? And, and I almost want to give the editing a pass because, like you were talking, it was supposed to be jarring. And especially as Al Pacino is, you know, losing his mental sanity, it becomes more common that there's, you know, jarring images thrown in there. Stuff that you're like, oh, did I just see that? And also, like, these just rapid cuts. And so right. it, it's like they were trying to use that to sell his descent into madness. But in the way that Fight Club did it right, this movie did it wrong. Mm -hmm. But I still like that they tried it. And so there's a lot that, like, they were trying to do good. They were trying to do good. And I think it was good for some reasons. But, yeah, ultimately, I'm going to say this one's a not watch for me. Uh, yeah, I I can almost agree with you that it is a good film but there were too many inconsistencies for me to wrap up 
in this sort of uh, slapdash sort of beautiful cinematography in in points it was brutal in some you can see Nolan's style oh yeah in this film straight up his later films he he does the same thing he gets better editors <laughs> he gets those IMAX cameras really pops out those shots but uh yeah it's 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 not his best work it wasn't it's sort of a uh some of its parts for me where you're like i will not you know like i will tell you not to watch this film and i generally like christopher nolan films but this one rubbed me the wrong way and i uh can't get over it yeah this one is definitely like a freshman film from Mr. Nolan, where it's like, you do see those things where you see them later in his movies, and you're like, hey, you did it right there. <laughs> and in the same way that in each of his movies, he tries to do something either with cinematography or storytelling to help sell ultimately the story. I don't know if this, you know, was because it wasn't his story and he didn't know how to adapt it properly, or it was because he was a new, you know, filmmaker or what. But clearly, like, look at Memento, that movie did it right. Yes. And that um, was written by him and his brother, I think. Yeah. And, and so that's why I think, like, good movie, but after watching two hours, I, I just want to save you, the you know listener of this podcast, two hours, <laughs> to, like, there's nothing special here. No. And and I think that's my biggest gripe with it, is, like, at the end watch of this prisoners. movie... Dude, watch... Oh, God, yeah, go watch Prisoners. Oh, <laughs> I think we need to go... You know, yeah, no, go watch Prisoners, go watch Seven. Uh, this movie just wasn't enough to really make me want to tell somebody to take two hours out of their life. Yeah, Robin Williams is great in it, but there that's the thing is if I at the film's end see the quote-unquote bad guy get his just desserts and bite the dust in some way and I'm not fully satisfied by that, I don't think you set it up right. I, I don't think I'm sold on, <laughs> you know, both bad guys get their just desserts, but I still felt unsatisfied. I was like, oh, internal affairs is going to have a field day with this one. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Something about it. Yeah, it just, it was a nice try, but it was like a, a swing and a miss. Great swing. Big miss. Big miss. I, I do. Yes. I. I though. I'm circling back. I commend it for trying. There are the aspects of Nolan trying to, you know, go. Oh, here's a whipping shot. You know, it's a flash, but it's not painful to watch, and it sells. Uh, losing losing your sanity because of lack of sleep and that's sold in the film but that's the only thing that was sold is you're like or or this even worked. you get that one shot of him scrubbing something that plays uh occasionally throughout the the film right you know there's a scene of him sitting in a chair scrubbing something you can't really tell what it is because he's doing a certain nolan thing that he does to kind of obfuscate the the scene itself and yeah. then it's it pays off in the end. I'm not gonna spoil that one. That one is actually pretty cool. It was was nice there payoff though? Yes, in the way that like he finally revealed what you were looking at, and like it helped to add to the story. Yeah, but did it matter at that point? <laughs> no, because even like okay, you know what? I will spoil it. It's it's fucking Al Pacino talks about how he hunted down a serial killer who killed a child, and there wasn't enough evidence to pin it on that guy. And so he took blood and planted it on the guy who killed the child so that the, you know, crime would get fully put on him. Now, you know, ultimately Al Pacino's saying this as if he did something super bad and like he's like, oh, I've look at all the bad things I've done. And I'm like, wait, that's all the bad things you've done? Because <laughs> you shot your partner. That was messed up. You shouldn't have done that. But the planting the blood, like, that's almost excusable. That's the thing, is he sh he fully shot and killed his partner. He's collaborating with a known killer who has yeah. admitted to his crime. And all he is is you're shown he dabs a little blood on it on some fucking cloth. And he's suddenly 
the worst cop in LA? Like, no, I don't buy it. Yeah, there was no consistency between what he actually did and what he's accused of by IA. Hap got off easy. Hap was a triple murderer. <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah. Oh, I don't know. So yeah, it's a it's a double not watch. <laughs> also, gotta clear it up because I said it, and I know it's now out in the ether. Don't plant evidence on people. Don't do it. Who would have taken that from? I don't, I don't know, man. Somebody's gonna be like, "Hey, Aaron said that we could plant blood on people. He said it. That's legal advice now. He said it was a good thing to do." <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm just saying that it wasn't consistent with compared to what Al Pacino was saying he was doing. Yeah, the the story, the paper being brought up and the the amount of guilt that is racking this character's mind. And he's just going, oh, I took a dropper and I went to his house. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, OK, well, fine. Al Pacino, you also pooped your pants early. <laughs> like- I think, look. we have to be the smarter audience and go it's not the first time he did it who knows how many murderers he got put away through evidence that he had to plant or through some other means and so the comment from robin williams saying you know this gets out everybody you sent in is suddenly back out on the streets and you're like okay well multiply 30 years as a detective to however many cases you can extrapolate from there you you could be the smart audience here aaron come on let's yeah 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 yeah. but i don't want to be doing the homework to to you know make up excuses for bad writing yeah so i i elect not to and i go look what he did it was bad, but also he probably should have just fessed up to shooting his fucking partner and yeah. ended the movie. Should have just not been a fucking bad guy. Uh, shouldn't have been a bad guy. Uh, that's the moral of this story. Yeah. Insomnia, 2002. 2002. Christopher Nolan. Thank you so much for listening to a little rambling review here of uh, Insomnia, 2002. This has been too much popcorn. So if you at first grab a little popcorn, um, you just grab a little bit more, and then you grab a little bit more, and then you have too much popcorn. And that's the basis of this show where Aaron and I review movies. So thank you so much for listening. If you have the time to leave a five star review on wherever you're listening, it'd be amazing. We'd love to see it. And uh, but that's gonna do it for this week's review. We'll see you again in a couple weeks for the next film that we decided to talk about. Bye. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.